Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. My name is Bree. And my lovely co-host Valerie is here today. Hi, Valerie. How are you doing? Hello. I'm good. How are you? Good. good. We're doing another evening recording. Uh, we didn't get any zero star or one star reviews. And I was just actually listening to episode 10, which is last week's episode, while I was making dinner this evening. And I thought it sounded pretty good. So mm-hmm. if you are here with us again, thank you so much for joining us. Welcome, welcome. And uh, yeah, Bree, tell us how you're doing this week. Uh, This week... I'm I'm good. I'm good. Uh, sorry, I'm I, I don't even know. I'm I had my niece here today, and although she doesn't require much, I still feel like I'm constantly on. So I'm a little frazzled. Um, I'm good. I got rejected from one school, so I was a little sad from that. That's okay. I still have four more, so we're good. What about you? How was your week? Well, mine is good. But before we move on to me, let's talk about cat update. You know, <laughs> like, do we have a name? What did Instagram teach oh. us? Oh, yes. So um, it came down to. Um, Oliver and, um, well, I know what name won because you can only remember the winner. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. So there was four names and then I did a a a poll between the two and, uh, Sean picked Oliver. So. All right. Cause Sean, your partner, he had final say cause it's his cat technically. So the podcast doesn't get to name the cat, but he is officially Padfoot in my heart and I'll call him Ollie when I meet him. Yes. I actually think maybe that's what it was. It was Padfoot versus Oliver. And I didn't even bother with a poll because I knew, like I asked Sean and he's like, well, I know what I want. And I was like, if I do it, people okay. are going to pick a Padfoot because I would too. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, that's fair. Yeah. But it is still yeah. Harry Potter-ish. When you first told me that was a contender, mm-hmm. you know, I said it was like, well, there's Oliver Wood and then there's Oliver Phelps, who's one of the two actors who play Weasley Twin. So exactly. at least got vaguely Harry Potter-ish. Yeah, we're there. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So my week's been good. I uh, I was having a little bit of like back and shoulder pain last week and mm-hmm. was on some meds and I'm off mm-hmm. the meds now, which always is nice. Yay. Uh, I will say that muscle relaxants help you sleep better. And so I was like really well rested last week and I'm back to all kinds of weird sleep patterns and it's, having cats doesn't help that because they are semi nocturnal creatures. Yeah, I'm learning that. <laughs> Yeah, I do want to share. Um, I'm really excited today because at one point, I don't know when, I hope I remember, I'm going to just jump into a timeline of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows up to this point that we're at in the book. And that is, I think, the result of a big research project I was doing for the last two days. So Sunday, which is two days ago from recording, I fell down a rabbit hole of the internet learning about Roman London, like literally the Romans living in London and the gates in the wall that they built. And then I was in like various historical maps. So if you were on my my Instagram today, you saw 
I shared a story about like I was reading original translated sources from like 1170 and 1598 and comparing them with different maps throughout the centuries to try and figure out which gates were which. And it was, it's like a puzzle basically. And it was so much fun. And then when I was reading tonight, I was like, I got to do this with Harry Potter. And I was pretty <laughs> darn close to one of the resources I found online that actually had a semi-official timeline. So I was, I was able to infer quite a lot, which gives me some confidence in the story that I'm writing from all that research that I did. Amazing. Okay. Well, I can't wait to hear it. Yeah. That sounds awesome. I should just be in school all the time. Like I should just be allowed to study whatever I want and get paid for it, which is kind of what we do. Like this is kind of that. And then I run some websites and I get to do that there. But it's like, I just love academic nerding out and getting in sources and stuff. So that's just, that was my week. (laughs) Nice. I mean, that sounds like a great week. (laughs) Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. You're going to be doing that once you get back into grad school. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Cool. Okay. So uh, let's see. As a reminder for everyone, if you're here, if you're new listening, we are reading Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows backward. We are quite a ways into the book. So actually, if you're at this point, this is your first episode, I recommend going back and starting at episode one. You can stick around if you want, see if you still like us after a few more minutes, but it's going to make a lot more sense if you start at the end of the book with us and work your way to where we are now. What we do is when we're reading it, we read the last sentence of each chapter first, and then we read the chapter and then we go back a chapter. When we're talking about it here in the podcast, Brie gives us a synopsis of that chapter, and then I read the last sentence of the chapter, and then we discuss the chapter. So if you're ready, Brie, we can just dive right in. All right, let's do it. So we are on chapter 13. Cannot believe that. The Muggle-Born Registration Commission. So the big three are all disguised at the Ministry of Magic. Ron was sent off to fix a reigning room. Hermione was sent to be the clerk for Trials of Mudbloods. And Harry ends up at Umbridge's office where he sees Mad-Eye Moody's magical eye. He grabs it and heads to the courtroom where he ends up causing a scene, stealing the locket, aka the Horcrux, freeing the Mudbloods, and barely escaping. Good synopsis. And the final sentence is... And then he saw the door of number 12 Grimald Place with its serpent door knocker, but before he could draw breath, there was a scream and a flash of purple light. Hermione's hand was suddenly vice-like upon his and everything went dark again. And as a reminder, in case you didn't catch last week's episode, then they wake up and Ron has been splinched and they have the Horcrux, the locket Horcrux, and they are in the woods and they're camping. And that's why I called last week's episode hashtag tent life, which I thought was a little bit of an homage to you, (laughs) Brie, because you used to do van life. (laughs) I liked it. Yeah, I saw that. Thank you. Thank you. I was I was trying to be clever on my my titles here. Okay. Okay. So I actually want to kick off this after reading that last sentence with the image at the front of our chapters in this, in our version. So we are both reading the Marie Grand Pre version, the kind of the original versions that were released in the US and that each chapter has an illustration. And this is really macabre. Oh. It is Mad-Eye's eye mounted on Umbridge's door. And I never remember seeing this. But it is quite a detailed picture. And 100%, I am even more like, absolutely, I would take that eye. Like, Mm. first of all, I was thinking about this. This means that the ministry found Mad-Eye's body and never released it. So if he has any kind of family, they've kept his body or they've desecrated his body, right? And then Umbridge has taken this object from someone else's body and mounted it on her door. And this is someone that Harry respects. And like, of course, he takes it, of course. And I know we talked last week about him having some shame about that and his private burial of the eye. But like... I would have done mm-hmm. the same thing, hands down. Seeing the picture made it feel a lot more visceral to me. And I'm like, yep, yep. I, and Harry's a little bit hot-headed sometimes. So 
100%. I'm with you, Harry. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're right. I didn't see that picture. And in the movies, it seems more robotic because it has the metal piece on it mm -hmm. where that just looks like an eyeball that happens to have be magical. So that looks completely different. And that is, I mean, not surprising because it's Umbridge, but mm -hmm. that's... That's awful. Mm -hmm. It's disgusting. Yeah. Umbridge. I, I did some research on Umbridge. I didn't get Yay. much out of it, but oh. I was super curious because <laughs> in this chapter, we get the description of her office, which is basically the same as her office when she's a pr professor at Hogwarts, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, pink, frilly lace kittens, the whole nine yards. I can't even say it without kind of sounding grossed out. Not that I don't like those things. In fact, I like many of those right. things, but this character encapsulating them. And so I was like, surely JK Rowling has addressed why she made Umbridge dress like that, act like that, have that part of her life. And there actually is no commentary on it. A mm -hmm. lot of people just think that it's meant to be a juxtaposition or a bit of irony. So someone who looks really sweet and kind, like mm -hmm. you're, I think she's described at the beginning of Order of the Phoenix as like your maiden aunt. So like your unmarried aunt. Yeah, she's like this awful, she's like a candy, like awful, sour, <laughs> bitter taste on the inside. So she's like sweet and cute on the outside and then like disgusting on the inside. And I think that that makes sense. But I was kind of surprised there had never been any sort of question of it. Why did you pick that kind of representation for this evil character? Yeah. And she wasn't married and didn't have kids, right? Not as far as we know. Did you? Okay. That's what I thought. Not, not in the books anyway. I mean, book. I didn't jump into the wiki and double check, but I, I like to stick to what's in the books. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's where we differ. I'm like, Wiki, tell me everything, you know, <laughs> make it up. Yeah, that's, that's the rabbit hole that I spend two days researching Roman gates in the 11th century. And you know, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't go down the Wiki. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I was just gonna say Umbridge is awful. I mean, she's, I can't decide if she's the Petunia of the Wizarding World, or maybe she's even Harry's aunt or Vernon's first Vernon's sister of the Wizarding World. Like Marge. She Marge, yes, thank you. She's she's literally awful, and everyone agrees on that. But I would argue, considering last week and what we talked about, Petunia is just as awful. She just maybe doesn't I mean, she does kind of pretend to be nice because she's the stay-at-home mom. She loves her son. She cooks dinner. She wears like cute, presentable outfits. You know what I mean? She keeps a clean house. So <clears throat> she's pretending to be amazing where, I mean, she didn't, you know, force Harry to, you know, cut his hand, but she starved him and made him feel awful and shoved him in a closet to live mm -hmm. and made him be their personal mate, mm -hmm. basically. Their chef, their cook, their everything. Yeah, it's actually really interesting now that we're talking about it that a lot of the motherly figures, and I think we addressed this many many episodes ago, other than Molly Weasley, there really aren't any good moms. I mean, I guess Narcissa Malfoy, but the 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 kind of older women above Harry's generation, there really aren't any, they're not good women. And I, I don't want to jump hmm. too far down that track of like, does that mean something? Because I know there's been a lot of controversy about JK Rowling and her general views on gender roles and blah, blah, blah. We're, we're not here to talk about that. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting that, you know, we've got this string of women and it's, and the men, there are nasty men, but they're also good men. Whereas there's only one real good woman and that's Molly Weasley. There are good younger women at Harry's level. I mean, I guess McGonagall, I guess as I think like wider in the story, I can think of others, but. But there are so many at the forefront, I feel like that are not nice women. That is a very interesting theory because Rowling does like present herself as very much a feminist in mm -hmm. her own way. Um, so that is interesting that so many characters, women kind of give you a bad taste in your mm -hmm. mouth when it comes to the older women. Mm -hmm. hmm. Yeah. Well, something to ponder. If you're listening and you have an opinion, yeah, feel free to sure. jump in. We've we've generally tried to stick away from what's going on in the social and political commentary about J.K. Rowling and her yeah. work. We're kind of taking like the WB stance on the 20th anniversary. Not really relevant to what we're doing here, but it does come into times when we're doing kind of critical analysis of the different characters and the trends we're seeing in them. So 
anyway, if you have thoughts, we'd love to hear them. Yeah. Um, let's see, you know, again on Umbridge, she's so awful. She literally had a picture of Harry and it said to be punished. Mm -hmm. With a sticky note. She is so wicked. A pink sticky note. I have pink sticky notes on my desk. I don't stick them on people's faces and punish them. Yeah. She is... I mean, I I understand by the time at the end of this chapter that Harry gets face-to-face -face with Umbridge and she lies point blank about her her mm -hmm. own family heritage Why he's just like, no, I can't let her pretend. And he, it's because what Hermione hasn't seen is all of this data that he's just had, like this exposure back to this woman who tortured him physically mm -hmm. and tried to take away everything that meant anything to him at Hogwarts. And then he's around her and ugh, she's just... Yeah, I can't. I cannot really talk about her. I know, but I did want to. While we're in, the, while we're in that section, okay. actually, I thought it was really interesting because the lie that Umbridge tells, she says, "Oh, the S on this locket is for Selwyn." Mm -hmm. Well, I can't remember, and I'm sure we're going to get there. But Selwyn is the name of one of the Death Eaters. Oh, a living Death Eater. Okay. Now I was like, "Oh, what's the Selwyn family tree?" Because like, oh, Umbridge is claiming blah blah blah. But there's actually a living Selwyn. So to say she's related to the Selwyns is basically to say some of my family are Death Eaters. I'm cool with that. Oh yeah, I'm sitting next to one because Yaxley's a Death Eater. Run who Harry's impersonating. He's turning everybody in and we finally learn where Dirk Cresswell comes from because he's mentioned several times in these chapters. It's like Harry would lose his patience with that because he's just learned that Dirk Cresswell has been turned in for fabricating his family tree and then she's going to pretend like this Horcrux that she bought from a Mundungus Fletcher is a legitimate family claim to freaking Death Eaters. Can you tell I'm really... Yeah, <laughs> I love it. We love a feisty Valerie. You're right. You know, I caught that, but I, did, or I didn't... I'm sorry, I didn't catch that part. You're right. The, the irony behind that the line that I caught was, there are only a few pureblood families I am not related to. That's disgusting. Like, so they just want everyone to be inbred? <laughs> I'm just, I'm rolling my eyes over here. I can't, I can't. And, and I also like, I did think it was really interesting as we're talking about this pureblood, mudblood thing that like in the Inquisition of Mrs. Cattermole, they talk about how only witches and wizards can have wands. Mm -hmm. And though Mrs. Cattermole claims that she got it from Ollivanders and Diagon Alley, that isn't enough to make her a witch. Yet they call it, and this is such a classic politics thing, the Muggleborn Registration Commission. Just calling it the Muggleborn Registration Commission acknowledges that muggles can be born with magic. Oh. So it's like a politically correct way to say mudblood registration commission. That's all they're really doing. But it's such a like a classic thing to be like muggleborn because if she's muggleborn, which she is, mm -hmm. she can have a wand. I mean, just having that term in existence means that people of muggle heritage can have wands, can be witches and wizards if they become magical. But yeah, this whole this whole thing they call them undesirables. Yeah. I have it marked Yaxley or um, not Yaxley. Pious mm -hmm. thickness chatting with Harry as Runcorn has Arthur been caught having contact with an undesirable. Like undesirable number one, like all the things they use to talk about this class right. of people, very uncomfortable. Right. Yeah, it was starting with the statue, which is in the other chapter, but still just mm -hmm. disgusting, which they actually did really well, I feel like, in the movie. I agree. It was different than in the books, but I really, really like the one that they made in the movie. And I've seen it at the studio tour, and it's really mm -hmm. impressive in real life, too. Yeah, and very disturbing. You get that feeling. You're like, oof. Yeah. Speaking of movie differences, I always thought it was interesting that in the movies, the actors retained their voices through Polyjuice Potion. But that's a, di it's, it, I'm, I'm struggling because I haven't seen the movies in a while. I believe in Chamber of Secrets, they don't. They actually sound like Crab and Goyle, Ron and Harry, when they change into them. Mm -mm. They sound like themselves. Yeah, they have to like disguise their voices. Okay. Because in the books, that's not the case. Oh, okay. They take the voices of the person that they've turned into. Yeah. Which is, I just thought was an interesting difference and I don't uh, quite know why they did that. Yeah, I don't know. Probably because it's funnier. Or it's easier to keep track of who's who. <laughs> also, maybe that. That's actually a valid point. Yeah. Like for the audience? As moviegoers, you know, we're not smart enough. 
there was actually a funny, a funny reel. Gosh, what was it? Oh, if a husband and wife swap bodies for the day with polyjuice potion, can the husband technically get pregnant? You know what I'm saying? Because the husband's the wife for the day. So would the husband... <laughs> well, that'd be weird. What happens if that happens? That's a real medical... You got to call St. Mungo's on that what? one. I don't know. Because he needs to stay a woman then, right? He needs to stay in his wife's body. I don't know. And I think like maybe it's just like a certain level of your body is your organs. You get their organs too. Like, I don't know. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I mean, you would have to get their breast tissue, right? Like you would have to get that. So Presumably it's cellular. It's a cellular change. Like... Wow. I don't know. That's an interesting issue. Cause like the wife, the wife as husband might be like, <laughs> I want to go back to being me. And the husband now pregnant as wife, it's like, I can't go back. So now there's just two of them of the same person, but one's pregnant and one's not. And one's the husband as the wife and the other is the wife. This is a great mystery. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, would you have to keep taking the polyjuice potion or would you? Okay. Well, we're going to get, I think you would. I think you would. I think you would like short answer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just seems like a, if you do polyjuice potion and swap with your spouse, just use protection. Use magical protection, people. <laughs> I don't know what that option is. I've never Googled that. Presumably there's something because this is a boarding school for the majority of the series. And surely these are a bunch of teenagers getting into trouble. But I decided I didn't need that in my search history. <laughs> That's some fan fiction I actually want to read. I want to see who got pregnant. <laughs> oh, sure it happened. And who got her pregnant. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. What else? Moving back into the books. <laughs> so I did want to confirm last episode, we were talking about the thief. That was one of our chapters and we could not remember where Harry had first seen the photo of Grindelwald. It is in this chapter. He sees a photo of Dumbledore and Grindelwald together in the life and lies of Albus Dumbledore in Umbridge's office, which to me would have been a whole lot simpler if he just kept that book. I know he puts it back because he gets startled by pious thickness coming into the office, but just keep the book. And then you have all that information so much sooner. Uh, yeah, I agree. I was like, oh, wait, did Harry get the book? But no, he did not. He put it back. I did notice, and they end up saying it later, but in case anyone did not notice, in the courtroom, so the cat that's walking back and forth in front of the jurors is actually Umbridge's Patronus going back and forth. Because they don't describe that. It's just a silvery cat. And then there's one line at the end, which I thought was interesting. But another thing to do with the Dementors, so there's Dementors in there, and that's why want, they want to protect them. Does Harry, is Harry using occlumency and he doesn't even realize it? Because before when he would see the Dementors, he would pass out, but he simply doesn't allow himself to pass out. And I wonder if that's from his months and months of practicing. Yeah. I mean, I actually read that section closely too. And I noticed that what, what the way it's described through the omnipotent, semi-omnipotent narrator is Harry focuses on Hermione and Ron and how much they need him, yeah. which is quite similar to his first encounter with Dementors with Sirius, where oh, he true. is trying to keep, and he fights a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Because he's trying to keep Sirius safe. So I think it's maybe not just necessarily happy memories that help you produce a Patronus or defend yourself. Mm -hmm. It's also sort of that love and protection and those those warmer feelings of community. Mm -hmm. Because that's what the Dementors suck out of you is, you know, all mm -hmm. the sense of being connected with others okay. and having anything to look forward to. But I did notice that as well. I, I read that section with particular interest. Um, I looked up Patronuses and I did learn. I didn't know that this is exactly what they were. They are called spirit guardians. Huh, that's that was cool. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was fun. I like that. I like my hummingbird spirit guardian stabbing <laughs> Dementors. I'm still for it. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> it makes more sense. He's stabbing with his tail. No, with his beak. Oh, with his beak. Don't hummingbirds have a little... I guess that's their, their feathers. Never mind. Forget it. Forget about it. 
<laughs> they have really, 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 I've, I've had a deep dive on hummingbirds. They've had, they have really little legs, like really little. They can't even walk. That's how little their claws are, their little feet. And then they have really long noses and that is, they can defend themselves. They eat with them. They look pretty for the lady hummingbirds, nice. all that. They are nice and pretty. Anyway, that was a throwback in case you're not familiar to one of the past episodes, which I believe was episode six, where Brie and I shared our Patronuses as part of our Gilderoy Lockhart style quiz, which, you know, we could do that right now since we just... Sure. Yeah. Okay. So if you are listening for the first time or not, a friendly reminder, we are doing a Gilderoy Lockhart style quiz where we are answering questions about ourselves all season long. And your job is to track all the answers. And then we will give you a quiz form at the end of the season. And the person who gets the most right answers about us will win a Harry Potter prize pack. So every week we answer questions. This week, the question is, what is your favorite department or what department at the ministry would you work at? Department of Mysteries, obviously. I am obsessed with love, right? I kind of figured you might say that too. Like, I'm obsessed with love and I'm going to let them let me in there. <laughs> We're going to figure it out. <laughs> You're going to find the spell that unlocks the door. Yeah. Because you got to study it. I think I would also work in the Department of Mysteries. So let's narrow our answer down. So okay. if you're listening and you want to take part in the quiz, Department of Mysteries is a, is a sufficient answer. And maybe we'll have a bonus question like Gilderoy Lockhart did which is within the department, Brie wants to go to the love room. And I got to think because I haven't read it in a while, but I would probably be, I would probably want to work in either the time room, mm-hmm. the room with the dais, which I believe is just called the death room, but that's yep. kind of depressing. Or mm-hmm. the memory room, which is where Bron, Ron gets attacked with the brain and it has like tendrils of memory. Those yeah. are all really fascinating to me. Yeah. Hall of Prophecy would be pretty cool too, though. This is- I know. That's why I couldn't choose. <laughs> saw all those I was like man I think when we get to that section when we get to season three and we're going through Order of the Phoenix we're gonna have to keep track of how many doors are in that spinning room and see if we can identify all of the doors Ooh, okay it'd be kind of a fun little thing and see now you know I've been Mm -hmm. like in academic rabbit holes because I'm like we're gonna figure it out it's gonna be fun (laughs) yeah you are on one tonight man you are sharp loving it yeah it's I it's more like I didn't really work for two days because I was just reading really interesting stuff on the internet so my brain is more awake than usual which is not true I did get some work done she always gets no offense to anybody who (laughs) don't let her fool you don't believe Valerie (laughs) can do the work of three people in one day maybe four (laughs) I don't know about that Okay, so do you have any other notes in this chapter? I don't. Do you? I do not. So let's turn back one chapter. Yeah. Hey, so let's make the galleons to keep the show going. Have you heard of the Osseo Box? The Osseo Box is the Magical World's only vegan and cruelty-free indie subscription box, and it's perfect if you still need a little more magic in your life after listening to this week's episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. Each monthly box is a theme from the Wizarding World. Past boxes include Big Witch Energy, House Pride, and Magical Books. You can also buy past boxes and themed character boxes. You know which one we want, hashtag Neville Fan Club. Visit our sister site at followthebutterflies.com slash Box to sign up today and you'll receive 20% off your box or subscription. That's followthebutterflies.com slash Box to sign up for the Osseo Box. Thanks for supporting our show. Now let's get back to the Wizarding World. All right, chapter 12, Magic is Might. The big three are at Grimald Place, where Creature has just began to warm up to them. They are planning a way to break into the Ministry of Magic by staking out outside for several days watching the movements of different workers. The day comes and they decide to break in by using Polyjuice Potion and hair from the workers that they either stun or trick. The chapter ends with Ron heading off to fix a reigning room and Umbridge in the same elevator as Harry and Hermione. Yep, and the final sentence in this chapter is... Four people stood before them, two of them deep in conversation. 
a long-haired wizard wearing magnificent robes of black and gold, and a squat, toad-like witch wearing a velvet bow in her short hair and clutching a clipboard to her chest. Which just, ooh, umbrage. <laughs> That's the only real appearance she makes in this chapter. And even that description is enough to make my blood boil. <laughs> it is, right? I think, I feel like um, there was something said about umbrage. Rowling did say something about like, everyone has that person, has had an, an encounter with a person like umbrage. And that's what, what she wanted to bring to light or something like that. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I can't think of anyone like that from my past off the top of my head, but I can definitely imagine that I have somebody like that. And if I met them, I'd be like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I'm trying to think now. <laughs> okay, so I spoke a lot in the last chapter, so I'm going to let you take the lead. What, did, what jumped out at you from this chapter? Okay, so I want to talk about, I think we talked about it, we did talk about it before, but I'm still feeling maybe a little confused on, so the house, you have Grimald Place. And so the wizards, they technically can see number 12, right? Humans can't, muggles can't, but the wizards can. They just can't see anybody inside, correct? Because they said something, Harry said he jumped on the stairs and he had his invisibility cloak on, but his elbow showed. He's like, oh, I thought they might've seen my elbow. So it's like once they're in, you can no longer see them. The wizards can technically still see the house. So my understanding, and I did not go back and reference it in Order of the Phoenix, is Mm -hmm. that number 12 is actually magically hidden on its own right. Yeah. So if you don't know it's there, they obviously know it's there. But remember, before Harry gets handed the paper from Dumbledore that tells him that the secret headquarters of the Order of the Phoenix is at number 12 Girl Place, he can't even see the number 12. And it magically appears once he's given the secret. Mm. So I don't even think they can see it. They're watching that that line between the two houses and occasionally they see movement, but they don't actually see the house. Oh, Okay. It's just so confusing because if his parents' house, they said you could look inside the windows and see nothing, but maybe this one's just hidden and the Potter's house wasn't magically hidden in that way. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think 12 Grimmauld Place is has special protections on it from the Black family. Okay. Got it. Because that's why muggles can't see the number. It's not like it's an empty number 12 sitting between two muggle homes and the muggles are like, that's weird. Nobody's ever lived there. It's like they don't even think it exists. And so somehow they tie the Fidelius charm and take advantage of that. Okay. Got it. So even the wizards can't see it. They just see the line. They know something's probably there. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Cool. That was my my question. Uh, I did want to talk about... Hermione and Ron, all their cursing, which I loved. I caught that now that you mentioned that she wanted Ron to be someone that cursed a lot, but she didn't want to actually use muggle curse words. So she used wizarding curse words. Uh, Merlin's pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which as a reminder, pants in British would be underwear. Right. Oh. Not outside pants. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's like Merlin's boxers or Merlin's tidy whities <laughs> which right. I don't know how that's a vulgar expression, but I laugh about it every time. Yeah. And then Ron said, uh, Merlin's most baggy Y fronts. <laughs> yeah. Now that you have, now that you know it's underwear, Y fronts is an even more kind of like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I just loved that she was cursing. So you can see a little bit of influence on of Ron onto Hermione, which I which I just love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking I was I was thinking to myself that in in that expression I would have said oh bleep, and I won't say it because I don't want to get the explicit tag on Apple Podcasts. But like <laughs> you know, if you suddenly realize you have a security vulnerability, you'd be like oh no, and you'd like run off and take care of that. And that's exactly what she does. She just says a magical swear yeah. instead. Yeah, and I also I want to dive in real quick about Ron again. So Ron, you see, I'm starting to see now and I'm starting to like him more. I'm glad this chapter and I feel like it's only going to increase. I'm seeing more and more of he is literally the glue because Harry and Hermione, they're at each other almost this entire chapter. 
And so they are more like brother and sister where they're constantly trying to one up each other. They both think, you know what I mean? They're, they both think the other one's smart, but I do feel like they're arguing a lot where they both feel like they're right. They're like, you're smart, but I'm right. And that's their dynamic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And Ron's like, Ron has to like calm Hermione down or she has to like be on, he has to be on Harry's side. So Harry doesn't feel like they are talking about him. Ron is often on his side where Hermione is like, no, you're wrong. Ron, I mean, other than his magic about the ministry, which we talk about there, I just love, he's also calm. You have Hermione and Harry who are very both probably very high anxiety, both of them. They, you know, they both need some anxiety meds probably. Um, where Ron is fine. Literally, let's see. Harry said, they nearly saw me coming in the back just now. I landed badly on the top step and the cloak slipped. And then Ron says, oh, I do that every time. Like literally like, no big deal. Oh, I do that every time. No big deal. Like that's it. You know, like, oh, no big deal. Like stop stressing. And it's important to remember, I mean, we don't know for sure about Hermione, but Harry's an only child. And one would presume Hermione's an only child. We don't know that it could be that she has a muggle sibling at home. She just never mentions, but she have two only children. And that sort of dynamic between two only children definitely can develop, especially when they're living like a family. Mm-hmm. And then you have Ron who's six of seven. And so he's like, ah, throw whatever family drama and one up ship I got five brothers ahead of me like you think I haven't seen it before you know <laughs> so that's one where his upbringing actually tempers him to be better suited for living as true you know like kind of living as siblings because he's had tons of them he's a middle child that is very typical mm-hmm. of a middle child they are very much the peacemakers mm-hmm. and very just kind of chill like whatever right whereas the the first slash onlys are often like the leaders in the family and so you have two leaders mm-hmm. and then the the peacemaker who's having to deal with these two <laughs> only children yeah all right what did you notice One thing I really liked in this section is the description of Creature and of the black like house, the Grimmauld Place kitchen. I love meeting Creature other than at the very end of the Battle of Hogwarts where he comes up from the kitchens cheering for Master Regulus as this warm, welcoming, helpful house elf because we haven't actually seen that in any house elf, right? We have Mm. Dobby who's trying to escape from his masters and then living as a free elf and we have Winky who's a total mess working in the Hogwarts kitchens but unable to even fulfill her duties because she's addicted to butterbeer. So seeing a house elf in his element and happy to be doing his job sort of does give this validation to what Ron early on says, which is they like this work. They like being appreciated by their masters and serving them and doing good to keep the house. That's fulfilling for them. So it doesn't necessarily denigrate them to have that role, which we'll probably get into a lot of that whenever we get to Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. But I just, I mean, the description is so endearing. The kitchen is unrecognizable. Every surface shone. Yeah. Copper pots and pans had been burnished to a rosy glow. The wooden tabletop gleamed. Goblets and plates already laid for dinner glinted in the light from a merrily blazing fire atop which a cauldron was simmering. That sounds awesome. Like, that's what I want to come home to every day. Yeah. <laughs> and Same. I love that Grimmauld Place is a traditional older British style home with the kitchen in the basement. It's actually below grade. Mm-hmm. That's a very unusual thing for Americans. I remember the first time I encountered it, I was actually visiting a family in Cardiff and staying in their Airbnb room. And they invited me down to their kitchen for tea and it's like half underground. And that seems so weird because it's like, we don't have our kitchens. We generally have our kitchens either on the same level or on the upper level or it's never like underground for American construction. And maybe in older homes in New England. I don't know. I haven't been to one like that. But this just feels very like, oh, this is the kind of British home I want to have one day. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I love Creature as well. It was very nice. He's like in his towel. He's very excited that Harry's back. And I just, it's like a simple thing. He literally gave him Regulus's locket. I think he just asked for it. And Harry's like, okay, here, have it. 
that's all he wanted and then he just felt so appreciated and seen and was literally happy to have Harry and there I don't know it was just it was very very sweet it's actually kind of sad if you think about it which they mentioned in one of the chapters they said oh man I'm thinking of like creature the kidney and beans mm-hmm. that he was making yeah and they had to leave him and then poor creature probably has a death eaters yeah, at they home had to leave him probably some yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do think, and we're going to get to it in the next few chapters, is the encounter where Harry reconciles with Creature about what happened to Regulus. And I think part of it, too, is in addition to giving him the locket, is saying, this wasn't your fault. Mm-hmm. You didn't cause your master to be killed. You didn't do a bad job as a house elf. Because like, if you think about it, if even Dobby, thinking that he had served Harry poorly or done something wrong by the Malfoy standards, it, it ate him up from the inside. Yeah. And that's kind of what Creature does to himself. I also thought it was interesting that all the time that the Order of the Phoenix is using 12 Grimald Place, Molly Weasley is doing all the cooking. Mm. They have a house elf and he doesn't do any of his duties either. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm going to be really interested to get into that section because it's like, if they had, as Dumbledore says at the end of Order of the Phoenix, if Sirius had been able to honor Creature and respect him as his own being and the house could have been so much better for all of them yeah because creature would have been this creature instead of that creature right yeah yeah that will be interesting to see um i didn't even think about the fact i thought i feel like they said something about they didn't have him cook because they thought he would poison them or something like that i think they do make a, a, a note about that but in any case he's not cooking right yeah and that is more i understand that is 100 percent the way Sirius dealt with being back in his family home and dealing with creature and i know harry gets mad about that but i think it's legitimate feedback Yeah, no, for sure. And that probably didn't make Creature feel good, even if, you know what I mean? He's not being utilized, even if maybe partially he doesn't actually want to, but he's just sitting there doing nothing with his life. Right. He's still not able to fulfill his duty. Yeah. Yeah. Poor house elves. But, you know, house house elves like all of us, when we find our purpose and we get to live our purpose, Mm -hmm. we're much more satisfied. That's true. I like that. Shifting gears entirely, let's talk about Harry, Hermione, and Occlumency, because we've touched on this last episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's this encounter between Harry and Hermione about Harry's use of Occlumency. I'm curious what you thought of that. Um, I think that's kind of where I got, where I was curious. So I thought that he worked really hard at it. From what I remember, I know that he felt like he was not doing well, but Snape was so powerful. So to like not be able to protect yourself from Snape, I don't feel like that's a very good measure of how well you're doing. And he was able to get into Snape's mind. So I, I guess... I took from that where Hermione is especially hard on Harry because I do think he worked really hard at it and he tried his absolute best and it just was not good enough for Hermione. See, I think he was, I think he half-assed it. (laughs) I always felt like, I felt like Harry didn't prioritize it. He didn't enjoy it, right? And that's a critical part of people working to master a skill is like, you have to have some level of enjoyment of it. Like you could try and teach me to play the tuba. Actually, I like the tuba. Uh, the clarinet. If I didn't like it, I wouldn't want to practice. And you ask any parent who's tried to raise a kid and had them learn an instrument, it's like pulling teeth. So I don't think he, I don't think he enjoyed it. I don't think he prioritized it because he was supposed to be clearing his mind every night and he would just lay there in bed and like obsess about dark thoughts and end up in like, you know, this is all Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince stuff. Like he was not in a good place. I always thought that Harry thought he didn't do a good job of learning it and he just gave up. But I do think it's interesting where he basically takes ownership and says, look, I'm not even going to try anymore. This is my decision. It's my mind. And that puts the conversation we talked about last time where Hermione's upset with Harry She's upset with him because he said, I don't want your opinion on this anymore. This is my decision. Less of her being afraid, which is what I was hypothesizing, and more of her being like, I don't like the decision you've made. I can't tell you otherwise. So I'm relieving you of duty at Nightwatch. So I don't want to see you anywhere. <laughs> like, yeah. It's your decision, but I don't want to hear about it. You know, like a very different dynamic than I was imagining. Now, I think she's afraid of it at the core. And as we go back in time, we'll see that. But 
by this point, she is frustrated with him that he doesn't seem to take it seriously. And then she's frustrated with him that he's made his own decision and it's not what she would have wanted. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair that's a fair point of view. I mean, you are Hermione, so <laughs> you might be a little biased. I mean, I would say like if I had someone I really cared about and I wanted them to learn a thing and I thought it was for their best interest and then they chose not to learn it, I mean, that would frustrate me. Yeah. Especially when then I have to see them not doing the thing that they could be successful at. I'm like, right. you could have solved this problem for yourself. Don't make it my problem. Right. <laughs> and maybe you're right. And Harry just did want to have that connection, even though he freaks out at Hermione. But normally, whenever you hit a hot spot, you hit a nerve, you hit a nerve for a reason. You know what I mean? She's like, you, it's almost like you want the connection. And he's like, no, of course not. He freaks out on her. He's like, well, maybe you do a little bit because it keeps him in control. Mm -hmm. He feels like he has a piece of control. Yeah. You might have a point and maybe he did just kind of give up because of course it was hard. He had to spend time with Snape who- they don't like each other. Reliving his worst memories and, you know, yeah. I think the introduction to occlumency is not optimal for Harry ever mastering it. And then at a certain point, he just decides, I'm going to take control of this instead of letting all these other people ahead of me and above me, most of whom are dead, tell me what to do. I'll be interested to go back to the books because I just feel like he was better at it than he thought he was. Um, I think he just wanted that connection with Voldemort. But when it comes to actually using it, I, I think he does a better job than we're giving him credit for. But we'll see. Yeah. I look forward to getting back into that then. Yeah, same. You know, what I thought was funny was you have Phineas and there is a portrait of him at the Black House, that Grimald place. And he's just chilling there and he goes back and forth to Hogwarts and Hermione figures that out. And she's like, oh, I bet Snape could have I saved us because he could tell Snape what we were doing. All I can picture is like Snape in his office. And he's obviously, you know, he's the good guy. We know that now, or at least he's on the good side. That's debatable, I guess, to some people. But he's probably like freaking stupid kids. Like I'm literally trying to help you. I need all the intel I can get. And she's, you know, too smart. I bet he was just, I can imagine the curse words and like him just cursing out Hermione, you know. That Granger girl, damn you. (laughs) Insufferable. Yeah. Insufferable know-it-all, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The only other thing I have in this chapter is actually the polyjuice potion that I can't remember where they get it from. And so I am going to be keeping an eye on that because I believe it's Mad-Eye's store of polyjuice potion. That's what sticks out in my memory, but I don't know where I'm getting that from. And I don't remember any point where Mad-Eye would have given them polyjuice potion unless it was just in the house. So hopefully a little thing I can track going forward until we get an answer, kind of like some of the other stuff we covered in this episode. So for some reason, I'm thinking she mentioned it in the chapters we've read where she's like, oh, I grabbed this when I grabbed the other stuff. Oh no, that was at Shell Cottage. Okay, she wouldn't have gotten it there. That's the reference I was thinking of. Okay, yeah. Um, Madame Moody sounds right, but I'm not certain. Actually, you say that and you might be right that it's still leftover polyjuice potion that they've just been carrying around, but I'm curious where it came from in the first place. Right. Interesting. I'm huh. trying to I'm trying to just glance back in the book and see if I can find that. Well, I am out of notes, but do you want to hear my timeline? Uh, yes, let's hear it. Okay, so... <laughs> What I liked about this first chapter we've just been going through Magic is Might is that it gives us a time anchor. We know that it's September 1st slash September 2nd because the Hogwarts Express leaves on the night before they plan to infiltrate the ministry. So we have a little bit of context here. So that means that from some point in August when Fleur and Bill get married until now, they've been living at Grimmauld Place and then they infiltrate the ministry and they go on the run and do hashtag tent life until sometime in November, I'm guessing, October, like early November, late October maybe when Ron leaves them. We don't know how long he leaves them. And then December 24th slash 25th is Christmas in Godric's Hollow. Okay. 
On the 26th is the day that Ron returns. So Boxing Day, Ron returns with the Silver Doe. And then just two days later, they go to see Xenophilius Lovegood. And I was a little bit uncertain on that date. That's a date that I got confirmed by my timeline. But we knew it was still in the Christmas holidays because part of the argument was that Luna would be home. And you made that point. And then they're back in the tent through March. And I wasn't 100% sure on the date in March either. But the important change in, in time stamping is that when they're caught by the Snatchers and taken into Malfoy Manor, it's the Easter holidays from Hogwarts and Draco's home. And so I looked up when Easter was in 1997. Easter Sunday was March 30th. So it's somewhere in that very last week of March. So that's Malfoy Manor. Then they're at Shell Cottage and Ollivander is at Shell Cottage until the 17th. And that's the same day Teddy Lupin is born. So we don't know that exact date from the books, but people know what day he's born in the various wikis. So about two and a half weeks, they're all living in Shell Cottage. And then I was super confused about this. I thought the Battle of Hogwarts happened at the beginning of June, just like final exams did. And I think we talked about this, but I am wrong on that. The Battle of Hogwarts takes place on May 2nd. So the break into Gringotts happens on May 1st and the Battle of Hogwarts takes place on May 2nd. And that is the end of the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a lot, it's a month, because I was like, wow, I feel like they weren't at Shell Cottage that long after Ollivander left while they were planning to break into Gringotts. I think the book even says like a couple weeks and it is just a couple weeks. I just, I couldn't make sense of that because I was like, I thought that the battle was in June and I, where are those extra weeks coming from? So anyway, yeah, the Battle of Hogwarts is on May 2nd. So when do they technically, so you're sure they technically get out of school at the end of May? Uh, In early June. So maybe they they do. Okay, got it. Yeah, they they sit their exams always in like the first week of June. And that's from a different book. I can't remember which one. And then they stay for an extra week waiting for their exam results when they don't actually have anything to do. It's kind of cool. They just like hang out at school for an extra week for fun. That is fun. I like that. Hmm. Well, that was cool. Yeah, thanks for that. I liked that. Yeah. So now we've got, now we've got it anchored, right? So we've kind of like moved through, I mean, as we discussed, the whole last third of the book takes place in like 24, 36 (laughs) hours. (laughs) And then the middle section of the book is like six months. Mm -hmm. And then the front section of the book, which we're currently in is only like two months because it starts right around Harry's birthday at the end of July. Mm -hmm. Which doesn't, doesn't every book start around Harry's birthday? Yeah. Okay. That's what I was thinking. Nice. Yeah. Okay. But just like, just like, it's not very long. Cause we're like, we sort of were saying last episode that we were kind of at the third, 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 breaking it into mm-hmm. thirds. And we're moving into the final third, the first third of the book. And that means that the first third of the book is only like, I mean, I guess the tent life goes on for a long time. So that maybe this third goes all the way to like November, but yeah. Anyway, I thought. And like how frustrating, right? Like they had a house with the creature who now likes them and was like making them delicious food. Harry said it was the best soup he had ever had. And then when he thinks Harry doesn't like it, he then makes them some stew. <laughs> they had it good there. And treacle tart, his favorite. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. I don't. I remember reading this book at one one of the earliest readings or maybe my first reading and really lamenting that they lost Grimald Place, that they couldn't mm-hmm. go back because that's like the only other home that Harry's really ever had that starts to feel like home it quite isn't because he still says he sleeps in Sirius's room and like but it could be and then I wonder like do you think Harry goes back do you think he goes to live in Grimmauld Place as an adult because it's his home he owns it I think so I think so too and it makes me feel kind of good inside yeah me too and then hopefully Creature stuck with him yeah I, I think he would have at that point they had been through a lot together and good stuff not just bad stuff they bonded yeah they bonded <laughs> You know, I have one more thing to say and we can wrap it up. Another thing about Umbridge. We had mentioned, I had mentioned, I wondered if, or maybe you did, it doesn't matter, 
the Horcrux, the locket, she'd been wearing it. And we're like, did that affect her? But online it said, because it was such a short amount of time, for one, it didn't make that much of a difference. But the reason it didn't make a difference is because she was so evil and already had so many of Voldemort's qualities that it did not affect her. If we think of the Horcrux basically like whispering evil things in your ear about yourself, to, to Umbridge, it was like, you're right about everything, you evil little lady. Good job, you. And it's like, good for her. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't have it very long. Well, we actually don't know how long she has it, but it's long enough that it should have had an effect if it did. And nope, she's just straight up evil. She's awful. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think that's time to wrap it up start with umbridge end with umbridge now are we done with them um we're done with umbridge ish we don't have to deal with umbridge for the rest of this book that's good at least thank goodness yeah um she's literally the worst yeah yeah yeah, I, I we don't even I don't even sound that angry when we talk about Voldemort. That's that shows how well written that character I know, is. I know, I know. She's because she's pretending to be good. That's the worst. I think that's, is that what it is? She's just pretending and she's acting like she's on the good side and she gets away with it. People let her get away with it. Mm -hmm. She's another one when we had that conversation last week about do villains think they're evil? Do they think they're villains? Mm -hmm. She's one I would say 100% she doesn't think she's a villain. Mm -hmm. She's no. a great example of that. Like yeah. Voldemort might be like, yes, I'm the best evil villain of all time. <laughs> and Umbridge is like, no, I'm sweet. I'm doing what's good for everybody. And, and yep. you're like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> all right we could go on forever about how much we hate her i think mm -hmm. we will in uh season three when we hit order of the phoenix i actually love her in that book and i love a lot of things about that book even though most people don't like that one so i'm excited to get into that one all right okay <laughs> cool well thank you guys for sticking with us today if you enjoyed yourself or if you didn't either way go to apple go to your podcast player give us a five-star review but then tell us what you did or didn't like we'd love to hear you uh hear from you if you want to tag us share with friends um instagram or bell jar pod i am always happy to have somebody you can share one of our posts or you can just link our podcast and share it and I will gladly reshare it. And if you want to do something really fun, you should go to our Instagram account at Pod and listen to the outro, uh, outtake, that's what it's called, <laughs> outtake of last week's episode that I cut from the main episode when editing of Brie and I discussing the spelling of Grigorovich, which was a perfect perfect 42 second discussion that fit perfectly over our normal intro music and just shows that you should always take diligent notes says the Hermione in the room <laughs> that's true it, yeah it was a perfect example of our our places <laughs> yeah and then I have a fun thing we're gonna do so we're uh we're getting the we're approaching the end of the season and here's what here's what we're gonna do and I haven't even talked to you about this Brie but we want to invite somebody to be on the podcast before the end of the season so yeah. if you are listening and you want to come join us for an episode hit us up uh hit me at podcast at follow the butterflies.com that's podcast at followthebutterflies.com. If we get a bunch of people interested, we'll just work with you in coming seasons. We'll figure out a, an equitable way to get everybody on. We just want to start having people come on and talk about it with us because we're hitting our stride. We're really enjoying it, but we know that it would be more fun if we had more conversation. Like, Brie, you have siblings. Yeah. I don't. Well, I have siblings, but I was an only child for about 13 years. So I'm like the Harry mm -hmm. and you're like the Ron and we need another Harry <laughs> or another Ron or Hermione to like make this a a trio. So if you're interested, hit I us up. I love this idea. Uh, and we'll just have some fun. You don't have to have any experience podcasting. We'll figure out how to make it work. Nope. And we will, uh, you'll Definitely. make my editing job a whole lot more interesting that time. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for listening. As Bree said, we want to hear your ratings and reviews. Hit us up on social media and we will see you next week. Yeah. See you next time.
The Glittering Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.